love for technology didn't manifest that, or the love for coding and computing programming, programming didn't manifest until much later when I was in university in the first year and I was doing uh, electronics engineering. And then I had to take a mandatory programming course and that's when I realized this is easy. But it was easy because I really loved it. So. Hey folks, you're listening to Hell of a Business Podcast. My name is Sonia Malin and I'm joined in the studio by data engineer, tech founder, mentor and investor, Fernando Ferrer. Welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure being here. The 90 Day Fin program brought a number of founders and experts in tech to Finland in the beginning of August. The aim is to introduce Helsinki and the business landscape for the group. Fernando, you're Venezuelan Canadian and now also a Finn. I think that's a wonderful, but also a slightly weird combination. How does it feel? It feels very good, actually. I, it is a weird combination, but I quite enjoy it. I'm a person who lo- loves to travel and I may be settled in, her, in Helsinki. So. Yes, and we're very, really excited for that. And I also believe another set of congratulations is uh, in place because you got nominated for the province of Ontario premier award for your career in technology by your alma mater, the, the St. Lawrence College. Correct. So. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. Uh, it's been an interesting 13 years since I graduated. Um, And I'm very honored to be nominated just as the same as I'm honored to be here because I believe the other people that you selected for this program have quite the background and, you know, I'm just a crazy guy who likes to do crazy stuff. So, <laughs> uh, If I may ask a bit of a personal question, what was your first contact uh, with Finland? Can you recall? Yes, I think I can recall it was after a very long series of flights, um, but... I think the first contact, of course, was at the airport. And it was an interesting one because uh, of COVID, my flights were all canceled and I had to go a different route and my luggage was lost. So my first contact with the real thing was at uh, the counter at the airport asking for my luggage. And it was a good one. Uh, the guy was very friendly, explained everything well to me. So Okay, that's good. Um, and I have some background information. I, I have my sources. I, I know that when you were five years old, your school one of the, was one of the first to do computer classes. Uh, so my question is that, is that the time when you fell in love with technology and engineering? Was, was that the point or um, later on in life? I believe so. I mean, that's true. I, I don't want to reveal, reveal my real age, but that was a while ago. And yes, we were doing some simple programming with uh a program called Logo Writer. It was an IBM program, very easy to use. But I think the the love with technology comes from my father, who is a, an industrial engineer, but he always liked to get the latest gadget. And this um, love for technology didn't manifest that, or the love for coding and computing programming, programming didn't manifest until much later when I was in university in the first year and I was doing uh, electronics engineering. And then I had to take a mandatory programming course. And that's when I realized This is easy, but it was easy because I really loved it. So, uh, well, if that was easy, was there something you struggled with in your studies? Oh yeah, electronic engineering was hard. I I, I realized I wasn't good at it. Oh. Uh, so after my second year, I switched to computer engineering, actually software engineering, and 
uh, it was funny because I said, why would I switch to a career that is so easy? But then I saw everybody else is struggling with it. And it's like, maybe it's easy because that's what I'm good at. So I switched and the rest is history. So Today, we will be talking about a topic that's close to your heart. Uh, we will talk about digital nomadism. And for me, the expression of a digital nomad, it draws the image of a millennial expat on a sunny beach, you know, swimming in a hammock. You have one computer, yeah, one hand, and then you have your piña colada in the other. And when I, if I would post that on Instagram, I would probably uh, put something like "Office of the Day." <laughs> is is this you? No, because it's a uh, great and cold outside. Right. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but in the summer, it's yeah, it could no. be possible. So I, I truly only need a computer and an internet connection to work. Um, that's been the goal for me. And the reason I, I learned about this program, the 90 day film program was because that was the plan that I had. I just start traveling while working. Uh, of course, I do have a family. So the window for doing that is shortening because eventually my kids are going to start school. So if I still willing to do it, it has to be like one year at a time because of school. Um, but really digital nomadism, it just means you are wherever you want to be. And for me, the beach might be good for a little bit, but I'm really not a beach person. Uh, I obviously like the cold weather. That's why I'm in Canada and now I'm here. So, And I think that the hammock, hammock scenario I just described, that's probably something that could have happened pre-pandemic. Um, Absolutely. But now I think remote working and remote workers, uh, those get into the headlines, at, at least here in Finland. Um, is this case also in the future uh, or are the kind of predictions of the new great digital nomad movement overblown? What, what's your take on that? No, I, I think that it's going to keep happening. I've been working remotely for almost five years now. Uh, I think the jobs in technology uh, lend themselves to be remote. And I think that's just going to continue. Uh, the challenge is, will other jobs continue to be remote? I think they're for the short term there will be some sort of hybrid mode. But what I think, and then to get a little bit controversial here, is I think the free movement of labor is something that's part of capitalism that hasn't happened uh, for artificial rules and regulations when it comes to immigration. Uh, I'm a big believer that borders are just uh, constraints that we put ourselves in. Um, and now the real competition for talent, it started, because now there's no reason why I cannot hire, and I have hired people from Colombia and Brazil, you know, even here in Lithuania. So to me, that's that's going to be the challenge moving forward is competition is no longer about the location where you are. You're competing with the entire globe. So you are, you better up your game because now the competition is real. And I have some numbers that back our beliefs, what we have just now discussed. Um, there's an organization called MBO Partners. They have collected an extensive Um, data on digital nomads and what the data shows is that in mid 2020 the digital nomad population in the US exploded 50% from from the numbers in 2019 uh, meaning up to uh, 10.9 million from uh, 7.3 million and I see the similar trends picking up here in Finland as well Um, there's a survey, there's a recent one by Kantar that over 70% of employees in Finland are keen to work remotely. Um, 
And I, I think the whole lifestyle has mainstreamed. Um, you can tell your family or your company that you want to move around while you work. Um, that might have drawn skeptical looks in the past, but I think the idea doesn't seem so far-fetched no, anymore. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, And I know there are some companies that are allowing their staff to work remotely indefinitely. So uh, I think it's very likely that most workers want to continue the, to work remotely in some way. But from a Finnish, when it's Venezuelan, Canadian nomads perspective, what would make you want to move to another country? Now kind of the reasoning, what are the most important attractiveness factors for a digital nomad like you? Um, yeah, so I think making it easier to make that transition. So uh, a lot of countries are now giving away nomad visas that are very simple to apply. Um, helping out with the residency and taxation issues. Uh, I know Greece has now a nomad visa where they, uh, I think they, they give you your the 50% of your annual income, the first 50% is tax-free, and then you pay taxes on the other 50%. Um, so things like that make it attractive for you to to do that. It's obviously a lot more difficult to do it in countries where the process is more bureaucratic, um, because obviously moving into a new country it always has its challenges. Uh, being a nomad has its challenges as well. It's not like all rosy. Uh, so the less frictions you have in the process, uh, the better. Is this something special that Finland and especially Helsinki should uh, take into account when considering the rules or incentives? Uh, how can we tr- attract more talent? Um, so I think what I've realized after being in Finland for almost three months is that uh, Finland has a lot to offer, uh, but Finns are very honest and modest people and very few things that Finland has are known outside. So I think really what you guys have to do is just keep advertising what you're offering. Uh, Finland, it's a very interesting country because everybody uh, is very well-educated. They understand engineering and technology quite well. Um, and that, I hadn't thought about that, but after being here, that's a very attractive thing because it's really easy to explain what you do. It's really easy to find people that know what you're doing and they have the similar skill set. So it's very easy to network and find others like you. Right? So. Wonderful to hear. But what about companies? I I know that uh, despite the large and growing number uh, of digital nomads, few organizations have very formal policies and programs for them. Um, are some kind of informal don't ask, don't tell agreements typical in the nomad world, uh, you know, that people travel without their organization's knowledge. Have you countered this? I've heard some people do it. Um, I think that's a little bit... Uh, dangerous in the sense that there might be good reasons why. Uh, I know, for example, in the U.S., I work with a lot of American companies. There are companies out there that wouldn't hire employees in certain states and don't, and ask people not to go to those states. And the reasoning is mostly uh, legal liabilities. Uh, there are different taxation rules in different states, and that means that if, if you have an employee in one state, then you be, the company becomes a tax resident of that state, and you, the company has to pay taxes. Um, so you, you can get into some legal issues there. Uh, but I also think that organizations are going to start to look at this. Um, and my fear is there's always two sides of, or, or two ways of doing this. The, the more strict companies will start tracking your work and like having tracking software in your lap to see where you're at. Uh, I feel that's sort of an invasion of privacy and, and I wouldn't work for a company like that. Um, 
but people are doing it, companies are doing it because of those legal liabilities. The other would be, you know, to just be honest and say, hey, you shouldn't work and be transparent. You shouldn't work in these places because we're going to get into trouble. So. Um, we were talking about um, the, the factors that make a country or, or, or um, city interesting for nomads, for a nomad. But um, could you list some qualities that nomads are looking for in a company? What would be a perfect match for a, you know? Well, yeah. So uh, having one common language. So English, for example, I've worked with companies all over the world that have nomads um, that stick to one language because then everybody can communicate. Uh, the other is having a history of hiring people that are nomads, um, and just because, and, and I, I'll stop there and speak a little bit to that. There's a lot of companies that say, "Yes, we're nomad friendly. We don't care where you work." But then you have managers that are very concerned about your work. Where, what are you doing? And I just left a company like that because I was working for them, and I was spending about thirty percent of my day basically documenting where I was and what I was doing. So. Unfortunately, bad managers exist everywhere, but I think it, it, it amplifies the issue when you have a nomad workforce because people that haven't yet learned or uh, are accustomed to managing people remotely might be concerned um, without a reason, right? So that just creates a lot of friction and the employees end up wasting a lot of time. So having a history of a company having remote workers is a big plus. Yeah, okay. That, then you have the mutual trust uh, yeah. uh, comes comes through that. What's the one tip you would give anyone considering the nomad life? One tip. One tip. Um, travel light. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what? The last question. But I can promise you it's <laughs> not the easiest one. It, I know it's also a very important one. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so this is a tradition. When the Finnish sports team can be any sport uh basically when they win the championship people from all around Helsinki and the surrounding uh cities they gather to market square we have a statue called Havis Amanda there I've seen it <laughs> good and there's a uh it's a fountain as well probably mm-hmm. seen that yeah. and you have also understood oh that's a fragile piece of art but what people do when when we win championships is that they go skinny dipping into that small pool. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so my question to you would be what would have to happen to you for you in your personal or your or a business life uh, that you would do the same? Oi, um with alcohol or without alcohol? Uh you can choose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, uh if I close a big enough deal, I wouldn't mind doing that without alcohol. Uh, obviously, if you throw alcohol in the mix, then maybe it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. But um, I've come to realize that uh, Finnish have a very interesting relationship with nudity. And just in sauna, just speaking about sauna, everybody's comfortable with that. I, I do not coming from the, another part of the world that I'll be that comfortable with it. But I guess, you know, when you're excited, you close a big deal and everybody else is doing it, might as well do it. So. <laughs> Wonderful. So let's hope for the next big deal to be closed. <laughs> okay, now I'm under pressure. <laughs> Should have said that. <laughs> Fernando, thank you very much for joining us. Um, and thanks to everyone who listened to the show. You can find us, subscribe to Hell of a Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, all your fave podcast apps. Bye. Bye.